Today's scripture comes from the book of Luke 2, 41 through 49. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Joe. I usually work with the children, and, uh, you know, so uh, good to be with you guys. Um, I was at a conference this week, and I saw a pastor holding a coffee cup. It looked pretty sophisticated, so I thought I'd, I'd try it. Um, um, yeah, it's good to be here. Um, actually, I always kind of am curious. Does Pastor Susan pray before he starts a sermon, or do we just go? Anybody? They pray? All right, let's pray, and then we'll get started, okay? Um, so close your eyes, and uh, um, um, let me ask you to do this uh, just before I pray. Um, use your imagination. All right, we're in the church. Uh, we're in our Father's house. Uh, can you imagine Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father? And uh, would you for a moment uh, be in his midst? Not from afar, but our Father's calling us close to him. Right, longing to be with us. Right, let me pray for us. Um, Lord, thank you that we can be in your house. Um, thank you that we can be your children. Um, thank you that we're free to fail. Uh, we're free to have fun. We're free to have joy. And uh, Lord, it's all because of you. Um, Lord, as we go into your word, um, Lord, help us to be with you. Help us to be close to you and know how much you love us. Um, so we thank you for your word in this time, and uh, we ask it in your name. Amen. All right, um, if you haven't been with us uh, the past few weeks, uh, we've been uh, going through our vision series uh, where we're talking about new life in Christ, the nations of Silicon Valley. And uh, I recognize that's kind of a mouthful. Um, you know, it's like it's pretty obvious we didn't have some multi-million dollar advertising agency come up with that one. Right? Um, but, but it is what it is, and today I get to talk about family, right? And uh, if you go to our website and you look under family, there's two subheadings there, um, countercultural and intergenerational. Um, and uh, um, family is uh, not a small topic. And, uh, you know, some of us were in the midst of that. You guys are parents. You have kids pulling your hair out, just like Andy was praying. It's like, you know, it's hard to do family. Uh, some of you guys are young and single, and you're like, okay, I can skip this one. It doesn't apply to me. All right, but... Um, I encourage you to think differently, okay? Family is something that's hopefully, I think a lot of you single people are planning on doing one day, and some of you guys are so young, it's like not even on your mind. You're just like, I'm just trying to get through middle school. It's like, like spare me the family thing, okay? But regardless, you have parents, right? And um, 
Um, yeah, there, there's a lot to think about there, right? Um, just um, if you're, again, if you're single or if you're young, right? Family is a major decision that you'll make. And, um, you know, a lot of times to me, it seems like people are like, well, you know, when I get married and when we have kids, we'll just figure it out as we go along, right? But, um, you know, that's pretty scary to me, right? Like, shouldn't you be figuring it out now so when you get married, you can do good marriage? And then when you get kids, you can do good parenting, right? Because it's like not an easy thing to do, as we just prayed about. Right? So we'll get into that, though. Right? Um, so family, family, uh, the vision of family. And uh, you know, let's think about this as far as in the context of our church. Um, there's the countercultural aspect. And let me just uh, mention a, one thing about that. Um, I realize um, there's a lot of components of family. And uh, I think it's like living in today's day and age, it's crazy. We live in a crazy time, right? This is like, as far as I understand, this is like the first time in the history of the world where we're asking each other what our pronouns are. Like, has that ever happened in the history of civilization, like from the cavemen? And they're like, oh, what's your pronoun, right? It's like, like what we're doing as far as components of family is, is astounding, right? The things that we're overturning. Um, there's a, a, a quote from a smart guy that said, you know, um, when, you, when you want to remove a fence, right, it's pretty wise to ask what it was put there in the first place for. Why did they have that fence there in the first place? Right? In our current culture, we're just moving fences and doing whatever the heck we want with culture, and no one's like really thinking about why was that there in the first place. Right? So as we like mingle and meddle and tinker with family and what it means and what it is, right? We need to be wise about what we're doing with that thing, right? Because there's a reason that all of human history has kind of done it one way. And all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, we're totally changing that sucker and thinking we're the smartest people that have ever lived on the face of the earth, right? Maybe it's true, right? But, you know, we got to spend some time and think about that, right? Intergenerational, right? Um, uh, there was a, someone that said, smarter than me, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Right? And, um, you know, whether you're single, family, uh, it takes this entire church to raise our kids. Right? As I think about how I was raised in my church, you know, there were older people that were praying for me that I didn't even know about. There were college people that were pouring into my life, older high school people. And it was the whole church that made me what I am today. It wasn't just my parents. As good as my parents were, as thankful as I am to my parents, right, it was everyone together. Right? So as a church, let's do this thing, everyone together. All right, but um, as we talk about family, all right, um, for if you're not a Christian in the room or if you're a Christian and you're kind of progressive or skeptical about how the church talks about family, um, let me give a short word to you. All right, uh, You might wonder, why are Christians so obsessed over family? Or why are Christians so obsessed over marriage, divorce, sex, gender, pronouns, etc., etc., etc.? Why don't we just let everyone do whatever they want? Just leave everyone alone. Right? That's a pretty common question of our day and age. And um, I, I feel more and more like in today's day and age, it's important to be able to answer that type of question at two levels. Right, we need to have a biblical answer, of course, because we're Christians. Right, but we also need to be able to speak in a secular way, right, have a secular answer to that question. 
Right? Because America is constantly going in a direction where we're more and more post-Christian. Right? When Christianity was kind of like the foundation of America, we could just say, well, the Bible says this, and everyone's like, oh, okay, kind of. But nowadays, um, we are really leaving that foundation. Right? So there needs to be um, more than one answer. I'm not saying the Bible isn't sufficient. Right? It is completely sufficient. Right? I believe in it 100%. Uh, but uh, just, I don't know, this is my own you know, wisdom. So if it's Joe's wisdom, you can throw it in the trash. You can do whatever you want with it. But just from my perspective, it seems like you know, if the Bible is truth, then it should be evidenced in everyday life. And if it's evidenced in everyday life, then there should be some type of secular answer that kind of makes sense. Right? So let me answer this question um, in one way, and then we'll get into our scripture. So again, the question was, why do Christians, why are they involved in so much junk? You know, why are they so obsessed over family, marriage, divorce, sex, gender, pronouns, etc.? All this stuff, all this componentry of family, right? Um, there was a sociology professor from Harvard, very well respected at the time. Um, his greatest work uh, was a book called Family and Civilization, right? And he wrote this sucker in 1947, so it's a bit old. Right, but uh, you know, you might be thinking, oh, what does a 1947 sociology professor know anything about today? Right? His study in this book was actually analyzing ancient civilizations. Right? So he was analyzing the Greek Empire, Roman Empire, uh, medieval society. Right? And uh, what he did in this book was compare those cultures and the disintegration of the cultures, right? the decline of these cultures, and he paralleled them with the family. Right? How the decline of the family paralleled the decline of those civilizations. Right? So this is what he pointed out. Okay? This is what this guy pointed out. His name was Carl Zimmerman, if you, have, if you are interested. Right? Um, he said, uh, number one, uh, marriage loses its sacredness. Okay, so this is evidence of declining family. Leads to not, you know, it paralleled with declining civilization. So tell me, does this sound like our culture today? Okay? Uh, marriage loses its sacredness. It is frequently broken by divorce. Okay. Traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony is lost. Uh, there is increased public disrespect for parents and authority in general. An acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion occurs. Uh, there is a refusal of people uh, with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. A growing desire for and acceptance of adultery is evidenced. There is increasing interest in and spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes. Okay? And this guy, um, I don't know what his religious affiliation was, but from what I read of him, he wasn't a very religious man. Okay, so it's not like he's a Christian and he's just like laying out his own personal worldview world into this book. Right? But the stuff that he listed there sounds very familiar, right? Am I wrong? Does it feel like today? Yeah? Yeah, it kind of does, right? And uh, when you read this, you're like, does Christianity kind of fight against that? Kind of does, right? So um, from a purely secular perspective, right, if you want your culture or civilization to, in, to advance, right, family cannot just be this arbitrary idea that you can do whatever you want with. Right? Whatever worldview you come from, whether you're an atheist or you know, Buddhist, whatever, right? You have to take this idea of family very seriously if you're interested in your culture, right? If you want to be selfish and narcissistic, do whatever the heck you want, right? But if you are interested in, in culture, if you're interested in, you know, seeing us advance as a culture, continue to grow as a, as a people, 
right? We got to look at the family a little bit more seriously right? and not just think and do whatever I want. All right, so um, a word for you skeptics and everyone else, all right? But let's get into the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says, all right? So uh, we get into this, and, I, you know, let's try to have a little bit of fun with it. Um, it's an interesting story. Um, here in this passage that Matt read for us, thank you, Matt, all right? Um, this is a very rare glimpse of Jesus as a boy. Jesus is a boy. It's the only passage that we get where, you know, we see Jesus. Not baby Jesus. We got plenty of baby Jesus. We have a whole season and, and, and decorations and, and celebration with baby Jesus. But boy Jesus, we don't talk about boy Jesus very much, do we? We don't. We don't. Okay, so let's see what's going on in here. All right, so um, let me uh, read 41, 42. It said, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year, um, every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to his custom, according to custom, right? And when he, being Jesus, was 12 years old. All right, so um, if you're following along and you're playing at home, um, if you want uh, my points, I'm going to just go over my, my um, sermon points are the story, right, and then priority, and if we have time, um, I'll tell you a little bit about my own story. So the story and priority. We're in the story right now. All right, so the Feast of the Passover uh, for the Jewish people, the Israelites, is very much like Independence Day. Okay? If you were um, you know, kind of thinking about it, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and this Passover event happens, and then they're freed. Okay? So when we do July 4th, um, you know, and we were freed as America, we celebrate. And that's uh, what they were doing. They were celebrating. And uh, it, Jesus was 12 at the time. And uh, 12, uh, in it, that period of time, wasn't a super significant age. Uh, but the age of 13 in Israelite culture was very significant because 13 was the age of adulthood. Right? That's when you become responsible for the law. Right? But if you were 12, right, and you're thinking about that, then this is a very important time because all your studies and all your preparation would intensify. It'd be like you know, your junior year in high school, Right, you're getting ready to try to get into college, and you're studying really hard, and you're working your butt off so that you can get to that next level. Right? Um, yeah, that's crazy. You think, who's our 13-year-olds in this room? 13? Raise your hand. Right? Teo would be an adult. Right? Lumi, Lumi would be an adult, responsible for the law. Right? Talk about delayed adulthood. Right? Like we don't become adults now until we're like mid-20s. And if we're boys, so we're like 35 or 40. Right? Tell me I'm wrong, women. Tell me I'm wrong, single ladies. Right? Delayed adulthood, okay? Um, but, um, yeah, so here we have Jesus. He's 12, getting ready to, uh, getting close to adulthood. And, um, you know, here we are. Right? So let's, think of, let's see what happens. 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Right, so here's our first little wrinkle. Right, Jesus, boy Jesus, maybe boy Jesus is mischievous. Right, he's ditching his parents. Right, maybe he's just as mischievous as our little 12, 13-year-old. Yeah, that's, that's good for you. Right? Your parents can't take it as hard on you. Because somehow, like, I don't know, all our parents, like, if I said, don't you want your kids to be more like Jesus? You'd be like, amen! I want my kids to be more like Jesus. But here we have Jesus. 
doing his thing, right? Um, it said, but uh, supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Um, but when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaint, uh, yeah, but then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, okay? So they were traveling in a caravan. It wasn't like, you know, nowadays we have a car and we just have to count to four. And if we can count to four or five, you know, if we have minivans like six or seven, you know, then we, we're, everyone's accounted for. Right? But when you're traveling with friends and family and you're walking and there are mules and cows or whatever else they traveled with or however else they traveled, um, you know, it, it's a little bit harder to find people. Okay, so um, that's what was going on. Uh, boy, Jesus was missing. Okay, 45. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Okay, so when we look at them, when we look at this situation, okay, they, they lost Jesus, right? So they traveled one day out of Jerusalem. They realized he was missing, right? They had to travel one day back to Jerusalem, right? And then they had to search for three more days. If I lose my cell phone for like five minutes, I kind of like have anxiety and I worry, right? You have that feeling? You walk into church, you're like, where is it? Is it in my car? Right? But they lost Jesus for five days. Like, what do you do when you lose Jesus for five days? The Messiah, the Son of God, for five days. Like, I mean, what is the prayer like? They, they pray to Jesus, Lord, you remember that time you sent the wise men and they gave us gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Well, we still have those things, but we're missing something else. Like, what do you do? You know, Joseph is probably like, Mary, we're going to hell. We're definitely going to hell. So we can't lose the Son of God and not go to hell, right? been like five days now and we still haven't found him right they must have been stressed you sleep right and uh, after five days they see him sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions uh, 47 and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers and it's always cool to see child prodigies do amazing things, right? Um, I, I like watching America's Got Talent. And you see these little kids, and they walk up on stage, and, you know, they do their cute little thing, and then they just start, and they sing like Celine Dion or whoever else. And it's like, whoa, this is amazing, right? Um, I remember when Kevin over here he used to do yo-yo when he was in CM. He'd be like, it's like child pro I could just sit there and watch him. Like, this kid's amazing. Right? And here Jesus is. He's sitting in front of you know, these wise people, you know, these priests, and he's amazing them with his answers and his understanding. Right? But Jesus, if you think about the situation, he's kind of cheating, isn't he? And he's like the son of God. He knows all the answers. It's like you know, like if you're in college or high school and you take Spanish or Korean 
and the native Spanish kid is like snuck into the class and he's pretending he doesn't know anything and he's like in Korean or Spanish 101, but he's Spanish and he knows the whole language, right? And you're like, ah, ruining the curve for everybody else. Right? Jesus knows all the answers. So uh, yeah, wrinkle number two, Jesus is a cheater. Uh, anyways, um, 48, 48. I'm just kidding around with that. And uh, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Okay, some translations say they were overwhelmed. Uh, New Living Translation says they didn't know what to think. Like, can you imagine losing your child for five days, and then you see him in church talking to Susung and Young, and Susung and Young are amazed by their answers. And the parents walk in the door, tired, after five days of searching, worrying, praying. Right? This is a flood of emotions, exhaustion. Right? And here Jesus is, he's probably looking like he doesn't even care. Right? But what can you do? Because you can't murder him. He's in front of the church. Right? What are you going to do? All right, 48. 48. And his mother said to him, Mary said to him, right, because Joseph is over here, and he's probably thinking, it's your child, Mary. You talk to him. Right? He's probably frustrated. All right, so Mary goes up to him and says, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Right, 49. Uh, here's where things get really interesting. Right, um, let me read it for you, and uh, let's figure this out. Right? And he said to them, what did this sound like? You've got you to gotta put on your imagination caps once in a while and just like pretend. How did Jesus say this phrase? Right? And he said to them, why were you looking for me, Mom? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I mean, was he snarky? Or was it more eloquent? And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did thou not knowest that I must be in my father's house? I mean, what was it? What was it? I mean, this is a weird thing going on. Is Jesus talking back to them? I mean, he's already doing weird stuff. And, um, you know, this is weird because the parents are doing the right thing. Mary's doing the right thing, right? Where did you go? We've been searching for you. We're at our wit's end. Why did you do this to us? We're supposed to be the good child. Right? And here Jesus is, right? Obviously, whatever Jesus says has to be the right thing. And he says, didn't you know I have to be in my father's house? Okay, so there's two right things happening, but at the same time, everything is not going right. Everything feels wrong. So parents, if you're having a hard time, it's okay. Mary and Joseph were having a hard time too with Jesus. Okay, Jesus ditching his parents, cheating on his, on his school. <laughs> Talking back to his parents, maybe. I don't know. But this is 
this is beyond me, okay? I don't, I don't know. Like, what, what is this in here for, okay? What is going on with this story? This is so, so bizarre, okay? Maybe there's a reason there's only one boy Jesus story, okay? But, uh, but again, if you are a parent, maybe it's a little bit of comfort. It's not easy being a parent. It's not easy being a parent. And we'll find out more when we get to heaven. All right, but uh, let me look at this a little bit seriously. You know, I'm kind of joking around here and there. Uh, but let's look at 49 um, a little bit more intensely and just kind of figure out what is going on here. Okay, because there was this question that Jesus asks. He does the Jesus thing. He answers a, a question with a question. All right, and he said, why were you looking for me? Okay, and, when, you know, when Jesus is saying this, I don't think it's meant to be a practical question, right? Um, Mary's not going to answer, well, I'm looking for you because you were kind of lost, right? I didn't know where you were. That's why I'm looking for you. Right? But it's probably more of a kind of philo philosophical question. Right? And uh, Jesus is saying, in why were you looking for me? Right? He's drawing something deeper from their hearts. And he's saying, shouldn't you have known this about me? Shouldn't you have known this about me? And, and we find out in, this, in the next part of his answer, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or some translations will say, um, did you not know that I must be in my father's business? Right? And then uh, verse 50 says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Okay, so for us, it requires thought. What, what is Jesus saying here? What, what in the world is going on? Right? When we look at the context of all that's going on here, what is Jesus saying? Because even when he said it to Mary and Joseph, they didn't get it. They were scratching their heads. Okay, and uh, as I was studying this, uh, meditating on it, thinking about this, right, um, I just came to the simple idea that maybe Jesus is just stating his priorities. He's stating what is important. He's making it plain at a young age that this is what is going to drive my life. Telling Mary and Joseph, I'm not just going to be your normal average kid. We're not just going to go to this feast and come home and we're going to do things like everybody else. Right, we're going to be countercultural. I'm going to be countercultural. Right, Jesus is saying, This is my purpose. This is my priority. This is my longing. There is no other place I'd rather be right, than in my father's house and in my father's business. Right? And this is countercultural. Right? People outside the church, right, from you know, our own personal perspective, they don't, you know, in my mind, there's part of them that probably doesn't quite get why we go to church, right? Because church, in some sense, is countercultural. Hopefully, not in some sense, in a very real sense. Right? They might think, um, you know, they go to church because religious duty or something like that, tradition, their family was like that. Um, but here, Jesus is saying, you know, I must be in my father's house. Right? So even from that small thing, right, we can say one reason we go to church is to meet our father. Right? Have, you, have you ever thought that before? Like, you know, when we come, we're here today, that's why I did that little exercise uh, before we prayed. We're here, one reason we're here, to meet our father. We worship, as we sing, as we pray, as we fellowship. We're meeting with our dad. 
not from afar, right? but he wants us to be close to him, have fellowship with him, win the wrongs, win the rights, not to fear him, but to be comforted by him, encouraged by him, to grow. Right? We're here to meet our father, father and family. Right? We're here to meet each other and encourage one another, bless one another, right? not out of duty, not out of tradition. Maybe we're kind of brainwashed into those things, right? but sometimes we gotta pause and think. Right? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Right? When we wake up next Sunday morning or as we continue through our service today, I must be in my father's house. I gotta meet with my dad. I'm gonna be in his presence. Right? Um, you know, just think about those childlike moments uh, for myself when my dad would come home from work, and I'd be so excited. Um, when I come home, my dog is so excited. His tags, his tail's wagging and hitting the door. It's like, right? And that sound is like, oh. My dog loves me. Right, uh, my brother has two kids, and uh, you know sometimes we go over to their place, and my brother comes home, and and, and his kids start squealing. They're like ah ah ah, and it's like oh my gosh, they're so excited to see their dad. Okay, and, and this this needs to be us coming before our father, excited to see him for all that he is, the greatness of who he is, how much he loves us, cares for us. Okay, and that takes some understanding. Okay, they didn't want to understand these things. They just spoke to them. Right? But let us as a church, as a family, understand. Okay, let us as a church uh, bring our kids to that understanding. Right, let's go, kids. Get in the car. We're going to church. We're going to be late. We got to meet dad. Okay, got to meet dad. Okay, and this was Jesus's purpose again. Okay, his purpose, his priority, his longing, and we make Jesus so special. Of course, that's Jesus. But uh, for us as Christians, right, this needs to be our priority for our children. Right? For us as um, older adults that are single, this needs to be our priority for children in the church. Right? For us as young high school, middle school students, this needs to be our priority towards each other. That we would spur one another on towards Christ, towards the Father. Okay, and uh, this is not a strange thing. This is not a strange thing. Everyone sets their um, life agenda according to their priorities. Jesus is making it clear to Joseph and Mary: This is my priority. Right? You have to know this about me. Okay, and everyone does this, whether it's work or school or sports or music or uh, video games or our kids, or if you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you set your priority according to these things. If, if you're trying to become the next, you know, Google or Facebook, right, that, if that's your number one priority in life, then you set your life around that sucker. Right, if your kid is the most important thing in the world to you, you set your life around that person. Right, and we see it all the time. Right, and um, there's a fine line between having an interest in these things and these things becoming our idolatry. Right? As, as sometimes as good a parent as we want to be, sometimes we turn our kids into idols. 
And we do every living thing for them, and we put them before God and everything else. Right? And it's worth taking some time to clarify our own priorities in life, thinking about these things. Right? What is my priority? Right? So Jesus making clear these things. Right? It's like one of those weird moments. I'm sure some of you parents have had that weird moment where your kids say something to you and you know they're right, something profound. And, and the, the kid teaching the parents, it's a weird thing. Um, and uh, here Jesus is teaching his parents. Right? Um, they did not understand the things they were saying to him, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in their heart. Okay, so as we go through this, this is not a call to sap all the joy out of your life. Right? This does not ultimately mean that you, know, you and your kids have to become monks and devote them to the church, cancel all your piano lessons, stop doing your sports, um, stop doing all these things. Right? Um, because here, Jesus you know, didn't continue to live in the temple um, and uh, just stay there the rest of his days until it was time for the cross right, and time for his disciples. Right? He, went, he went back home right? and uh, he was submissive to them. Um, but this is a call to a better joy. Right? And this is a call to reflection about the things in our life that we're doing. Right. Um, Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. Okay, so this verse telling us, take off those weights, take off those sins, right, and run. Run towards Jesus, who for himself suffered for the joy set before him. Right, there's a lot of joys in this world. Right? There's a lot of joy in sports. There's a lot of joy in our football team, except for today. There's a lot of joy in you know, doing good in our academics. There's a lot of joy in those things. Right? But are those weights, are those sin that are holding us, that are clinging to us, preventing us from running towards the greater joy, which is Christ? Um, let me give you a little bit of an alternate answer. I know it sounds like I'm saying, you know, don't do any activities on Sunday and don't do anything on, uh, you know, Sunday afternoons when our youth group meets. And don't do, you know, make sure your kids, you know, never sign up for a, another athletic event again, okay? I have a good friend of mine who's a volleyball coach um, in Indiana. Um, he um, coaches a lot of incredible talents. A lot of them go to Division I schools. Uh, some have uh, practiced with the national squad. So I mean, he's not um, some small-time guy. He's connected across the country. Um, he was uh, athletic director at a small Christian school, coaching these girls, and these girls were no good, right? They're not going to get anything better than Division three, two college at best, at best. Okay, but um, they had practices on Friday. And he was in a Christian school, and in, in their school, um, they would do Friday night meetings, right? A lot of us, you know, growing up in the church, we'd do Friday night church. Again, and people criticized him. 
Why do you do volleyball practice on Friday nights? Why don't you let these girls go and worship? So he looked at the guy who was criticizing him and said, why can't volleyball be worshipped? Can volleyball be worshipped to God? Can we praise God? Can we honor God through our abilities? Can it be a testimony to the world of who God is? Of course it can. Of course. So now all of you guys are like, all right, skipping church. Cancel, 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 cancel. Okay. But the reality of it is, you know, again, what is the priority? Right? How, have we, how are we teaching our children? How are we teaching the next generation about what is important, what is not important? You know, is it for you, worship? Right? Is, is, you know, whatever you're doing with your kids, is that worship? Have you taught your kids that that's worship? Is it just an excuse? You know, what is it? Have you thought about it at all? Right? Or are we just living according to the culture of this world? This is what my neighbors do. This is what I did when I was growing up. This is what, you know, um, you know this, this is what it is. Right? We have to, you know, there's a lot of people that just live their priorities and they don't even realize what it is. And these are idols and weights and sins. Right? But these are things that we need to kind of stop and think about. Like, what is this in our life as a Christian you know, according to the bigger plan that we have? Right? What is it? Right. Um, yeah. When I grew up, uh, I played volleyball in high school, and I played club volleyball. Right. And uh, there, there would actually be a lot of tournaments on Sundays. Um, you know, travel uh, tournaments. And um, I struggle with this because you know a lot of our students, you know, they'll they'll skip church on a Sunday for, you know, whatever, biking or basketball or swimming or whatever SAT or whatever whatever the case might be. Right. And you know, as I look back at those times, you know, and I thought about it, it's like, if I had the chance, you know, if I were my parents, what would I do? Because, you know, looking back, it's like I feel like, if, I feel like I wouldn't trade that for the world because it was so formative to me and I loved it so much. Like, what, what was that? Like, is that okay? Like, what? And, you know, it's just, just thinking about that. Like, what do you, what do you do with that? You know, if I had kids today, would I let them skip Sunday? Would I let them skip other events? For, you know, what, what do I do with that? And um, uh, it wasn't that long ago, um, just a couple weeks ago, you know, as I continue to think about that, um, that and I kind of came to the conclusion that as much of a joy as that was for my life, as, as we were just talking about here, there's a greater joy. And, and, you know, in some ways it's easy for me to say because that's all in the past and it doesn't matter what my decision is now. But yeah, I don't know. That's one of those sins I had to repent of, thinking that my joy was a greater joy than what God could have had for me if I had participated in in the work that He had back then. You know, building a youth group, building a church, participating with other believers. Okay, and um, you know, something I had to repent over, trying to think that. You know, my joy, my my own interests were greater than what God's interests were. Okay, um, let me just wrap up this story. Uh, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men.
example. Uh, it said, uh, the verse before that, uh, he was submissive to them and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Okay, there's a treasure in this, okay, this priority that Jesus had. There's a treasure. And as we uh, look at the lives of our kids, the people around us, okay, as we look at you know, the, the direction, the trajectory that we're sending our kids, that's a treasure. There's something valuable there as we submit to what God has. Okay, let me, let me tell you um, a little bit of my own testimony uh, with regards to priorities. Um, yeah, and I tell you not to, not to boast. Every time you tell a testimony, you got to say that, right? Not to boast. I'm not talking about myself. I'm not trying to make myself great. Right, but sometimes it helps um, to hear other people's stories, how they live their lives, okay? Because this is kind of like, you know, a story in, in the Bible, uh, but sometimes when you hear someone's personal story, it helps, okay? Um, you guys know that I'm here at Revive Church, and I'm like 40-something years old now, and um, you know, working with kids and youth. I feel like I've been a part-timer for forever, and I, I don't, I'm not grumbling or um, um, upset about that. I just, I love to work in the church. I don't care. All right, but... Um, back in the day when I was a young 20-something, right, I was an engineer, and um, I worked with my home church. Uh, I worked with the youth group. You know, I, wasn't a ordained, I wasn't a pastor. I'm not ordained now. I wasn't a pastor back then. I was just a guy who was working and loved kids and loved the church because the people before me loved kids and loved me and loved the church, and they were my example, so I wanted to follow their example. So I was just giving it my all, uh, trying to do those things. And as I continued to work with this youth group, um, you know, I was just kind of analyzing the situation, and, um, you know, um, it just, it was hard, right? You know, working with kids is always hard to some degree or another for uh, one reason or another. Uh, but I thought about um, life, and I thought about, um, you know, just stuff. And one of the questions that came to my head, and, and I think I've shared some of this with you uh, college young adults before, um, I, I thought of this question, this question came to my mind, and it said, what are the three most important decisions that you'll make in your life, in your entire lifetime? What are the three most important decisions that you'll make in your life? And then as I was thinking about that, you know, I thought, you know, like, um, I've done, I've asked this question in some seminars uh, to other churches, parenting seminars, and, uh, you know, um, again, I think uh, if you remember, some of you college young adults, I've done this with you guys, and um, um, we kind of collect answers, and usually the answers that flow to the top are in you know no specific order. Something with God, um, something with marriage, something with career, uh, you know, choosing your spouse. Like these are going to be the most significant decisions that you're going to make in your life. Right? Kind of makes sense, right? Kind of makes sense. Um, I think for the college young adults, um, marriage came out as number one. But for an older parents seminar, God came out as number one. So you can see the differences how people are thinking as they go. Right, but when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that, okay, in my mind, right? Those are, pri those are priorities, okay? Um, career part, we got that covered, right? From kindergarten till you know, we get through college, all we're doing is preparing for that sucker, right? All you're doing is going to school, summer school, after school, tutoring, Kumon, Princeton Review, like, oh, we spend hours and hours and hours figuring that sucker out, right? But is that the number one most important decision that you're going to make in your life? 
that number one? I'd argue that who you're going to marry or uh, our decision, whether we're going to follow Christ. In my mind, probably higher. But how much time do we spend preparing for those? Right? But if you think about the typical person, right? Or maybe we could do it this way, right? Um, all you middle schoolers and high schoolers, how many years, I right, put up your hands, how many years have you spent preparing for marriage? Okay, maybe, you have good parents. Okay. Right. Extreme, studying, figuring out, ah, okay. It's, it's, I mean, our kids should be more like when we're teaching them to drive Right? And then they get in the car and they're really annoying because they're constantly telling us what we're doing wrong. Like, why can't our kids do that about marriage? Mom, you did this wrong. You didn't use your turn signal. Right? They should be doing that about our marriage. Right? Um, but um, if those are the priorities of our life, all right, we got to organize and sort our lives out by those things. Okay? And uh, as I was asking that question, I took that very seriously. Right, in my life, I decide I'm going to rearrange my life around my priorities, what I think is important in life. Okay, so um, I was between jobs at that point, and I decided, right, for all the kids that came in, I'm giving a little testimony of my life. Right, I decided I'm going to follow that. Okay, and uh, one of the difficult things about working in the youth group was uh, I felt like parents are so hard. Why are parents so hard? They are so focused on what their kids need to do. They're like laser focused on, you know, all the stereotypical Asian things, violin, piano, SAT classes. It's so hard to get them, all right? So something in my mind had this light bulb and I'm like, <gasps> instead of trying to, you know, yank teeth out of parents, maybe we need to get them while they're in college. So I'm like, I'm gonna move back to college and I'm gonna try to teach these kids what it means to be a Christian parent, what it means to be a member of the church, what it means to honor God, right? How to, what it means to be a parent or a wife, a husband. How do you do this? Well, that was my vision. So I acted on it. I said, okay. I told my mom, I had a couple of scouting trips down to Purdue University, currently number one basketball team in the country. I had a couple of scouting trips down there and I came back, found an apartment. And my mom was like, this is not how things work. You got to get a job first, and then you can move down there. And I was like, no, I just need to go down there. This is, this is God calling me. I need to teach these people. This is, this is an emergency. This is red alert. And I can't see another generation wasting away to the same culture. To the same culture. This is my way to be countercultural. This is my way to be intergenerational. Right, so I moved down there. There's uh, it, my um, fellowship down there was a Korean-American church, uh, but they had an English ministry. Uh, they never had a staff member. It was always kind of like the Korean pastor and his okay English giving sermons. And, you know, I showed up at the church. I'm like, hey, um, and uh, I'm down here to work with this ministry. It's like, oh, okay, Joseph, very good. Good to see you. Oh, okay. And um, he, just, he just handed everything over to me. 
like, okay, you're going to start preaching on Sundays and doing this and that. Okay, this is, this is what I signed up for. Okay, and um, so I gave it. I gave it my all. Right, um, uh, down there, um, you know, as I was doing that ministry, um, you know, I was looking at all my friends and, uh, you know, from a regular, you know, normal life perspective, they're all advancing in life. They're all getting married. They're all buying their houses. They're all having their kids. They're all doing that. And, and you know, I'm looking at them. I'm like, Man, am, I, am I getting left behind? Is this, is this the wrong thing to do? But yeah, those things challenge me. You know, living my, what I feel, my convictions, my priorities towards what's important. Okay. Um, yeah, so things like uh, when I was at Purdue, I met my wife there, Esther, who's in the back. You know, and, um, and before we got married, I, st I remember driving in the car with her, and we're driving up, and, uh, you, know, it's, it's, you know, we were, you know, pretty serious about our relationship. And, you know, as I was driving, I looked her in the eye safely, cautiously, and I said to her, um, you know, um, if you marry me, I can't guarantee you anything because I'm going to follow God wherever he goes and, and, and he's going to take me wherever he wants to and, and whenever he wants to, I'm going to follow him. Right? So I can't guarantee you um, any type of economic stability or anything like that. Cards on the table. She said to me, "That's okay, because I'll make the money." <laughs> She's fulfilling her end of the deal. Hopefully, I'm fulfilling my end of the deal. But I knew that was a sign from God <laughs> that I must marry this woman right now. <laughs> Right. So, um, but conviction, priority, right? And, and this is not to say that you must leave your job and, you know, I'm just asking, consider that question. What, is, what are the priorities I'm living for? Or you could ask my question, what are the most important things in life? Right? And how, and as you consider that, as you ponder that, then how does that flesh out in real life? Okay, there's nothing more annoying than politicians running on a platform and never doing anything about it. Right, making promises, we're going to build this, or we're going to do this, or we're going to pay everyone this, and then it never happens. Okay, this is why I hate Washington, D.C. Both sides, not Democrat or Republican. Everyone does it. Just say stuff and make, just lie about everything. Right? Don't be that guy. Right? When, you make, when you figure these things out, right, when you talk with your family about it, when you talk to each other about it, live it. Do it. Right, whatever that means. Right, so let me try to wrap up. Kids are back. Um, in this story, Jesus' priority, right, 12 years old, very clear that these things, his trajectory is towards the cross, right, where he's going to die for all our misplaced priorities, all our weights, all our sins, all our idols, right, because he wants to show us and give us a better joy. So many joys that this world has or thinks they have. It's a greater joy. 
Treasure the priorities of Christ in your hearts. Let it lead and guide you to a way more valuable life than you could ever know. Let it lead you. Let it guide you. Right? Take, take small steps of faith. Right? I'm, I'm a crazy one. I'm a wild one. Okay, but take small steps. Right? This is my priority, God. And it, it's hard for me to trust this. I'm just going to do this much and show me as I put my faith in this thing that you're going to bless and that I can trust you. From the youngest of you to the oldest of us, this is how we get to cross-cultural, intergenerational, or counter-cultural, sorry. All right? So I encourage you, you know, as we leave this place, ask yourself, ask each other, talk to your parents, dad, mom, what are your priorities? What are our priorities? That's important. Right? Maybe take a step of faith. Instead of emailing Pastor Joe and saying, we're not going to make it to Sunday, once a year, email your coach. Tell them you're not going to make it this Sunday. Right? Whatever the case might be, small steps of faith. All right, let's pray together. Let's pray. And uh, one more time, just before I close us, picture yourself again, Father's house, before the Father, with the Father. This is the place that we must be. Um, Lord, we're grateful that you love us. Um, we're grateful that... As much as we screw up or as much as we look to the wrong things, as much as we go the other way, um, Lord, you're there for us, wanting us to grow. You're cheering for us. You're rooting for us. And you're desiring for each of us to grow in stature and wisdom. And uh, Lord, um, you know, I guess for myself, for us, um, we have so many idols. We've gone so many different ways. We valued so many other things. Uh, but Lord, help us to rearrange those things. Thank you for the forgiveness of the cross. Thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you how he shows us the way. And uh, Lord, let it be a joy in our heart. And Lord, let it be a greater joy than all the joys of this world. And uh, Lord, as we put our faith in those things, uh, fill us. And Lord, let us be a church that rises up and is a great light the world around us, and a great joy to the world around us. Um, so we thank you for your word. In your name we pray.